Hi and welcome to Colour Fit Chat number 25. Today I'm absolutely delighted to have Dr. Matt Weston on the show. Matt is a performance specialist and applied researcher that is best known for his work with referees. It's his work for both the Premier League and he's now the Director of Sports Science for the Pro Referees Association in America. He currently faces a significant challenge as he prepares the referees for the Orlando tournament that's going to feature the recommencement of several American sports. Academically, Matt has been published extensively and he's worked at Teesside University and he was the head of football research at the prestigious Aspire Academy in Qatar, reflecting how in demand and how varied his skill sets are. I first met Matt early in my career and it was immediately recognised how knowledgeable he was and the evidence basis for all his work. In the show, Matt talks about the demands placed on referees and the work that goes into preparing them how academia and practice can best work holistically and reflects on his varied career. If you want to ask questions or add opinion, please get involved in the Twitter chat tonight, which is Wednesday at 7pm. Really hope you enjoy the show. Hi. Having worked with soccer referees for over a decade now, firstly with the FA Premier League referees and now in America here with the Major League Soccer referees, I think it's safe to say that this population provides an excellent challenge for the applied sports scientists, especially if you've got a background in exercise physiology. The reason I say this is that given the challenges the referees are faced with with their decision-making training, the physical aspect of the role dominates their preparation, so we have schedules involving the types of training sessions that you would normally associate with team sports, such as repeat sprint training, speed training, high-intensity interval training. And the reason we have such a, a dominance of physical work is that we need to make sure that the referees are are able to meet the physical demands of their matches and, and the physical demands of the matches are, are quite substantial. So for example in a large sample of FA Premier League soccer referees we reported match distances of over 11 kilometers per match with approximately 10% of this distance covered at high speeds over 20 kilometers per hour. In fact we found that the referees actually cover more distance than the average player and similar distances at high speeds and this occurs despite the referees being on average 10 to 15 years older than their playing counterparts. We know that the matches, the running performances from match to match are highly variable and they're ultimately influenced by two main factors, what the players do on the same game and also the referee's age and their experience. But I think it's safe to say that in both my roles here in America and also previously with the Premier League, that match analysis provides a cornerstone of support for the referees, for our support for the referees and that match analysis data provides a reference for our training prescription, recovery interventions and fitness testing protocols, of which fitness testing protocols are a big issue with soccer referees because it's basically an employment test. So when I'm looking at the match running data, I'm ultimately interested in the distances and speeds that have the largest implications for fatigue and more importantly, training prescriptions. So we're talking here about metrics around the maximal aerobic speed and also peak velocity. I've been very fortunate in that I've basically been able to spend half of my career thus far working in practice and the other half in academia and having now stepped back into a more practical role I feel really grateful for the skills that I, I learned in academia that, that will hopefully make me ultimately a, a better practitioner um, and when I think of the skills here um, I'm thinking mostly about having a, a better understanding of, of visualising data I think there's there's nothing better than seeing descriptive data well presented, you know, especially in these days when sophisticated statistical analyses are, are more accessible than ever. I don't think we should ever kind of lose sight of the value of scrutinising your descriptive data before even undertaking any form of analyses. 
Um, and I think of other skills, you know, taking the statistical theme a bit further, learning how to do statistics properly and not just relying on, on correlations and t-tests. Um, but another skill I really feel we can pick up in university environments is is how to appraise not just scientific evidence but also information in general and I think that could really help us as, as practitioners. Um, and I think this is no more apparent than when we consider the many measurement tools that we as sports scientists now have at our disposal. Uh, we should probably more be more critical of the way we collect data and in some ways really less is more when it comes to data as collecting fewer variables will enable us to spend more time analysing the data that we collect so we get a deeper understanding of the athletes that we work with. I read a nice quote from Darren Burgess a few months ago with with every measurement tool, you know, it's a conversation, you know, and how many conversations do we want to have? Well, what I would say is that while we can never be certain of any of the data we collect, I think that by gaining, collecting fewer data and gaining a deeper insight, I'm not really looking to start a conversation and will only do so when I feel it warranted and, and not just for the sake of justifying the data we've collected. Um, with measurement in general, I think it's a shame that heart rate monitoring has fallen down the pecking order as I still see this measure as offering so much the training monitoring process. But overall, I think I think the future should be less measures done better. I think that's a good way to go. Weighing up the strength of, of any scientific evidence is a, is a big challenge, not just for scientists, but also for practitioners. And I know we shouldn't view them as mutually exclusive because they're not, but um, but given the amount of applied research publications is, is just increasing exponentially, I think it makes it hard for, for anyone that's interested in research to keep on top of the, the latest research that's coming out in their particular domain of interest. And, and then in turn, when I think about experiences in practice, this makes it hard for us all to find that, that research study that can directly influence our work. I mean, I was very lucky that I found this in a, in a paper by Peter Krustrup and Jens Bangs, Bangsboy in 2001, which looked at the effect of high intensity interval training on soccer referees' match performances. And not only did it give me great information, but there were also training sessions within the methods. And, and it's still a reference that I go to 20 years later. But, but before taking any kind of step of changing our practice via reading the research, we really do need to weigh up the evidence that's presented by the authors and we need to ask ourselves whether their findings are strong enough to warrant a change to our practice or policies within the organisation. So for example, would you implement an intervention with your athletes because of one study that reported a small effect size or, or dare I say it, a significant p-value? You know, you, you probably shouldn't. You know, what you should be doing is initially, in my opinion, heading towards the systematic reviews and, and meta-analyses and I think you'll be on a lot safer ground here. If you're reliant on individual research studies, then get stuck into the methods, as this is where you'll find whether the study was actually any good or not. During my time at Teesside University, when I taught research methods, I used to urge the students to be skeptical when reading research papers, but I think there's a balance to be struck. So when critiquing a study, don't just look for the bad, look for the good as well. So for example, the study may have a weak design, a design that doesn't match the research question, or used inappropriate uh, statistical tests on the data, but the way the authors may have presented the data or their use of referencing or their writing style may be some positives that can be taken away and used in your own research, whether it be for publication or internal research and development. Advice for my younger self. Um, while not easy at the outset of your career, I would have told myself to be as honest as possible, especially with myself, and actually thinking how much influence have I had compared to how much influence I could potentially have had. Um, I think 
we also shouldn't be scared, especially in the early stage of our career, if we see ourselves as a as a small cog in a much bigger machine, because ultimately all cogs are important. Um, like many others on previous colour fit chats, uh, we need to be patient with success. It'll likely come with hard work, um, hopefully with humility and hopefully with a slice of luck here and there. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with working beyond your job description, mucking in as it were, as this flexibility will be looked upon favourably by others in your organisation and you'll also probably learn some new skills in the process. From a research perspective, um, maybe ask the question of who am I publishing this paper for? Am I publishing it for me or is it actually going to provide a welcome addition to the literature and hopefully change someone's, someone's practice? I think it's important that any researcher writes for the reader and not for themselves. Tips such as writing in active voice will certainly enhance the impact of your words as will breaking down complex scientific concepts into terms that everyone can understand. I think from a research perspective we need to be rewarding quality over quantity when it comes to publications. We see many PhD students these days graduating with five, six, seven, even ten publications and ultimately these graduates will be perceived as having a greater advantage in the job, of mar in the job market over a graduate who's published less but I'm really not sure this is a good way to go. And I think with regards to applied research, if possible, I would encourage applied research to collaborate with their peers as this will ultimately produce larger data sets and most importantly findings with greater external validity. A big thank you to Matt there for sharing his knowledge and experience. Refereeing is physically demanding as they work harder than players for several metrics. Therefore, appropriate training is paramount, involving speed, agility and endurance training. And fitness testing is also key, both as an employment requisite and as a training marker such as maximal aerobic speed. To blend academia and practice effect effectively, there are several considerations. Ask good questions, use appropriate methodologies, populations, statistics, etc. Don't just jump on a single study and ideally utilise meta-analyses and systematic reviews to guide your practice. I love Matt's reflections, in particular showing humility and pitching in with a wider team when you can and collaborating with other experts. We can achieve so much more as a team. Please subscribe and review to the Cluffit channels and I hope to see you next week.